welcome to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a weekly podcast cataloging the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, and this week uh, we will, of course, still be talking about uh, the after effects of the coronavirus outbreak and the ongoing pandemic, uh, but we'll also take a little bit of a detour and talk about uh, some uh, homegrown fascists, uh, somebody named Matthew Heimbach. So there's been a lot of news uh, about the right wing coming out around the world in the last week. Uh, a lot of it having to do with the ongoing pandemic, of course, and people's reactions to it. Uh, there have been several attempted terrorist attacks in the United States. Um, most notably, somebody uh, attempted to bomb a hospital last week. That's something I talked about in the previous episode. Uh, this week, a train operator attempted to derail his train while well, he actually succeeded in derailing his train um, in the port of LA in an attempt to get his uh, disgusting conspiracy theory ideas that, you know, there's some sort of Jewish cabal out there that's um, promoting the idea of this virus. You know, he thinks it's a hoax uh, that they're promoting this idea in order to take control of our freedoms or something like that. Um, but of course, the biggest news uh, in fascism this week is the end of democracy in Hungary. Hungary, uh, a major country in the European Union, uh, has suspended elections indefinitely, and they've given their prime minister, Viktor Orban, um, the ability to rule by decree. Uh, that is, he no longer has to consult parliament, uh, which isn't meeting anymore, in order to do anything. Effectively, this means that Hungary is no longer a democracy. It's functionally a uh, dictatorship run by former Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Now, this might come as a surprise if you haven't been paying attention to Hungarian politics, which, you know, I don't necessarily blame you. It's pretty bleak. Uh, but for those of you who do want to understand what's going on, here's a little bit of a primer. Uh, Hungary was part of the Soviet orbit during the Cold War. Uh, they were effectively controlled. Um, by a collaborationist government that was working with Moscow. Uh, with the return of functional parliamentary democracy, uh, Hungary, like many other European states, oscillated between a sort of social conservative and a center-left political position. Uh, the center-left party is the Socialist Party, and the social conservative position uh, is Viktor Orban's party, Fidesz. Uh, my apologies to any speakers of Hungarian uh, who are listening. Uh, I do not speak or read Hungarian. Uh, I'm operating uh, on the best uh, phonetic that I can. Uh, so Fidesz was a social conservative party that began as a sort of social movement uh, at the tail end of the Soviet era in the 80s. Um, but it became a political party in the 1990s. Uh, and it was in and out of power in the 90s and has consistently held office now with a supermajority uh, since the 2010s uh, under the leadership of Viktor Orban. Now, They've become increasingly conservative uh, over the last 10 years. Um, they've become virulently nationalistic and much more socially conservative. Uh, and that is that they are targeting the rights of immigrants, uh, people who are not national Hungarians, uh, specifically Muslims. And they are also cracking down on and eliminating where possible uh, the rights of LGBTQ people. Now, this was sort of held in check by their membership in the European Union. Hungary joined the European Union in 2004. Um, but now that Orban effectively has dictatorial powers, and I mean, effectively dictatorial powers isn't like his diktat, his word, 
is law in the country. Um, now that Viktor Orban has this, uh, they are sort of a lot less constrained by uh, these concerns. Uh, this is also coming off of the uh, Brexit debacle after the United Kingdom left the European Union, which is leaving the Union uh, weaker than it's ever been, arguably. Um, for those of you who are curious, uh, the main opposition party in Hungary currently is not the Socialist Party, um, but a different right-wing party called Jobbik. Uh, J-O-B-B-I-K is how it's written in uh, English. And uh, while Fidesz is a conservative right-wing party, Jobbik is a fascist party. Um, they're just a blatantly fascist neo-Nazi party. Um, so this means that Hungary's ruling party is a right-wing dictatorial government and their main opposition is actually fascist. Um, so if that doesn't tell you what Hungarian politics is like, nothing will. Anyway, in the wake of the pandemic outbreak, the Hungarian parliament gave Orban effectively what he had wanted all along, dictatorial powers, the ability to rule by decree. Uh, elections are suspended indefinitely, uh, and he has huge new powers uh, that enable him to get a lot of things that would have been impossible for him before the crisis. Um, for example, they've already been cracking down on immigration. They were always bad on uh, LGBTQ rights, um, and they're only going to get worse. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the first things uh, that Fidesz and Orban did uh, when they were given these powers uh, was to massively undermine trans rights in the country, uh, something that even the most, quote, conservative, you know, extreme far-right anti-LGBTQ person could not possibly argue has anything to do with uh, fighting a global respiratory disease pandemic. Um, now, Hungary is still in the European Union, uh, but nobody knows exactly what is going to happen now. Uh, the European Union has never hosted a dictator before. Um, now, given the fact that, as noted before, the Union has never been weaker than it is now, uh, with both the pandemic and Brexit coming back to back, um, we sort of don't know. Uh, we're going to have to see how this plays out. Um, unfortunately, uh, Hungary is here keeping uh, along with its history um, Hungary had a robust fascist movement and Nazi collaborationist government during World War II and also prior to it in the 30s. Um, Hungary's government uh, was run by a person named Miklos Horthy, uh, who had been an admiral in the Austro-Hungarian Navy um, back during World War I, um, which of course uh, means that Hungary during World War II was... Uh, a landlocked country that was ruled by a person whose title was uh, admiral. Uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a funny silver lining to the fact that uh, it was ruled by a Nazi collaborationist government and then taken over by a Soviet collaborationist government, and is now in the hands of a right-wing dictator. Um, if you have any friends who are in Hungary, uh, my deepest condolences. And if you are listening from Hungary, um, I hope that you stay safe. So, like I said, a little bit of a break uh, from coronavirus coverage. Uh, we're going to turn to talk about a fascist from the United States, somebody named Matthew Heimbach. Now, Heimbach is, much like many other fascists, um, a relatively young white man, college-educated, uh, from a sort of disaffected economic background. Um, he formed uh, a, quote, white student union uh, at his university, 
and then later went on to join the National Socialist Movement, a just blatantly neo-Nazi organization, and also founded the Traditionalist Workers Party, uh, which is a neo-Nazi political party. Uh, they're an actual political party, or rather they were. Um, registered uh, in several states and municipalities in order to uh, stand for election. Um, Heimbach worked with the National Socialist Movement and the Traditionalist Workers' Party uh, through the 2010s and into 2016. Um, during 2016, the Traditionalist Workers' Party uh, stood for some small seats in Ohio, Tennessee, and elsewhere. Um, they, of course, did not win, and by small seats, I mean, you know, things like comptroller and, you know, school board. Um, however, they did get a little bit of traction and actually some press. Um, the people in the press were not exactly sure about what to do with them, because the problem was that the people in the towns that they spoke to kind of liked some of the things that uh, TWP was saying. Um, they're a fascist party, and so they are, you know... In their words, pro-family, pro-worker, pro-nation. Uh, and those are a lot of things that a lot of people in the United States would agree with, you know, sort of on paper. Um, but the fact is that TWP is a fascist party. Um, they don't believe that LGBTQ people should have rights. Um, they believe in the separation of races, uh, races as they understand them, uh, that is in a simplistic black and white sense, uh, as opposed to thinking about race as some sort of, you know, social construct. Um, the National Socialist Movement uh, is a little bit more virulent and blatantly neo-Nazi. Um, they actually used swastikas, whereas TWP did not. Um, as I noted before, Heimbach was one of the main organizers behind the Unite the Right rally in Charleston, immediately following Donald Trump's election. Uh, and uh, as you probably know, uh, the Unite the Right rally actually served to do precisely the opposite. Um, it divided the right wing extensively um, because many of the people involved in the rally uh, disagreed with some of the others' more virulent approaches to uh, organizing on the right wing. And of course, uh, the violence at the event uh, resulting in one death, the death of a uh, protester of the, of the rally, um, only served to divide uh, the American public from the organizers. So the Traditionalist Workers' Party disbanded shortly after the rally, um, which has as much to do with uh, the aftermath of the rally itself as it does to do with a domestic abuse scandal uh, involving Heimbach, his now ex-wife, and another leader of the party who was his ex-wife's stepfather. Uh, some of the coverage of these events uh, gets a little reality show-y, you know, like schadenfreude and making fun of people's uh, lifestyles, making much about the fact that um, some of these people lived in trailer parks. Um, I think that that take is precisely wrong. Um, the point is that Heimbach is a domestic abuser. Uh, he abused women, uh, which is unfortunately something that he has in common with uh, an extremely large proportion of the leaders of the alt-right and of almost all the fascist movements. Um, there's a lot of work to be done there, um, both ideologically and politically, uh, that people don't pay a whole lot of attention to. So TWP disbanded. Uh, Heimbach was uh, convicted of this crime. Uh, he spent just over a month in jail. 
and uh, sort of laid low, or at least didn't appear that much in the news for a while until very recently, uh, when he and some other people who had been previously involved in more openly neo-Nazi organizations uh, appeared on the internet, uh, like all of us are appearing nowadays, um, to talk about a new organization that he's affiliated with, something called Light Upon Light, uh, which builds itself as a sort of like Christian self-help, you know, self-improvement network, uh, specifically for men who were formerly members of neo-Nazi organizations. And they seem to be intending to do a lot of targeting of men who are experiencing incarceration or who have experienced incarceration, and specifically white men who uh, are getting radicalized around uh, white ethno-nationalism uh, from that experience. Um, so Heimbach and some of the other people organizing this, uh, their claim here is that, you know, like, oh, we've turned over a new leaf. Um, what we're going to be doing now is uh, helping other men who have fallen into this ideological trap of white nationalism. And we're going to be helping them uh, sort of deprogram themselves uh, while also coming at it from a sympathetic perspective. You know, they're saying like, hey, you know, I know what you're dealing with. Uh, I know where your politics come from. You know, I'm not going to just demonize you outright because I've been there. Uh, that's their claim. Of course, uh, if you take a closer look at the ideology that they continue to espouse, and if you actually read some of their statements or watch some of their videos, uh, you can see that this new leaf uh, isn't actually so new. Um, the website continues to host uh, anti-Semitic ideology and rhetoric. Uh, although it doesn't explicitly mention Jewish people, uh, it still uh, talks about you know the world being run by some sort of cabal, uh, some sort of conspiracy theory involved there. Um, they're still openly nationalist, um, talking about you know safe spaces for white people, white identity, understanding that white people might want such an identity. Blah blah blah. This is nationalism, if not openly racist uh, in the way that they had been before. And it's still very anti-LGBTQ. Um, of course, now under the guise of a sort of family values type framework, something that hopefully, I guess they think, uh, would be more palatable to more people. And the thing to learn here uh, from Heimbach's attempted pivot is that fascists uh, will find a way to get their ideology out there um, when it's not actually useful to appear as fascists. Uh, they'll try to stop appearing like fascists. They'll try to start talking in a much more understandable, reasonable tone. They'll stop using uh, fascist symbols. Um, they'll start talking about family and nation and, you know, what's ours versus them taking it. Um, this ideology is pernicious. It can change. It can adapt. And the people who espouse it are not idiots. Um, they're actually, some of them, pretty adept at uh, trying to adapt their messages uh, for public consumption. And unfortunately, uh, we're not going to see it go away anytime soon. Anyhow, thank you for listening, and I hope you come back next week.